welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. You'll notice in the back uh, where Jody is, we've kept that space sort of open in case uh, anybody needs to wander or stand. Uh, that's, there's a nice back, uh, space back there for you. And on the welcome table, uh, there are kids' bags as well um, that have a little welcome sign on them. And those usually have a pipe cleaner in them, something to color with and, and a little scratch pad. So um, I forgot to mention that earlier in the service. So I apologize for that. But if you would like one of those, they are welcome to, to you. Uh, you don't have to give them back. In fact, we prefer you take them. So, uh, well, good morning again, everybody. I'm Morgan, and I'm the, the planting clergy here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. And I'm just so grateful to be with you here this morning, worshiping in this space for the first time together. It is, um, it's a gift. It's an answer to prayer. Uh, and it's amazing to kind of see God bring all these things together to be here this morning. Um, and as we begin our time of reflection on God's word, I just want to pray for us. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. Well, when my wife Ashley and I were in the process of moving early in our marriage from California to Chicago, I remember there was a, somebody who was describing how cold it could get there. Honestly, they were just trying to scare us. And uh, they were telling us that if you wear a face mask, like those neoprene face masks, and you were to breathe into it, your eyes could potentially freeze shut. And they said that it got so cold that if you took a cup of water, that you could actually throw it into the air and it would instantly freeze and look like it's evaporating. They were scary, but actually, um, it's true. Those two things actually can happen. And one thing, though, about Chicago is that even though it is frigid at some point, you know, there's always a couple of weeks that it's below zero, um, we wouldn't have what I would consider to be a ton of snow compared to, let's say, upstate New York, where they measure it in feet, or other places in the Midwest, or even some of the places in the Great Plains. I mean, those places have blizzards. They've got true whiteouts. And it reminds me about something that I had read a long time ago when we talk about blizzards and whiteouts. If you read uh, about the, some of the Great Plains in history in, in the 1800s, some of the farmers in the Great Plains used to tie a rope from their house to the barn. And, and the reason that they would do that is in case of a really bad blizzard, presumably some blizzards could get so bad that there's the potential for somebody to wander around and get lost in their own front yard or near their barn. So if you're in your barn and you're working, before you have to go home and make that truck to your house, the first thing that you want to do is search for the rope. Start with the rope, because if you start with the rope, you can brave whatever's going to come outside. No matter how long and how arduous that walk is going to get, You can trust that by taking hold of the rope and by following it, you're going to eventually make it home. And that is what we all want in different ways. Like we all just want to make it home. And so much of the book of Hebrews, which is what our series is, is about making it home. 
which, which it calls the city that's to come. It calls it that heavenly country, the kingdom that can't be shaken. It's all throughout the book of Hebrews. And a life of following Jesus can be a lot of work, but perhaps it's not the kind of work that we think. It's not like we can come to God with a list of all the great things that we've accomplished for him and say, look at all the things that I did for you. Um, We're going to run into trials and hardships. And when we do, we shouldn't think that the answer is to accomplish more tasks for Jesus, to do more for the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. That's not the answer. Instead, we need to hold on to Jesus, who is like that trusted rope. On our way back to the Heavenly Father. We don't want to wander aimlessly in the front yard during the blizzard of trial. We need to come back to the rope. It doesn't make the journey any easier necessarily, right? We still have to go through the blizzard. We still don't know what's coming in front of us or what's around us. But it does make the outcome of the journey more sure. And last week, the writer compared Jesus in chapter 2 to a pioneer, to a brother, and to a high priest who helps us in trials and who gives purpose to our suffering. And in the passage this week that Ashley read in in Hebrews 3, the writer's going to expand on that high priest idea. And he's going to compare Jesus to Moses. And one of the major points that he's going to make in this comparison is that our hope grows when we give attention to and we give careful consideration of Jesus. And when we cling to Jesus, that's when our hope grows. The writer starts out in verse 1 saying, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. That confession is the content of what it means to be a Christian. They believe and they trust in Jesus as the Jewish Messiah proclaimed in the scriptures, proclaimed by the apostles. The designation of apostle and high priest for Jesus is a really rare combination to ascribe to Jesus. But if we were to think of an analogy in the Old Testament, who else could be considered an apostle and a high priest but Moses? And even though Aaron, if you look back at the Old Testament, Aaron, Moses' brother, was technically high priest. He also gave in to the people's wishes to make an idol and worship a calf. And so it was really the prayers of Moses that interceded for God's people and spared them from his destruction. So in Moses, you have somebody who is sent to deliver God's people, to speak God's words to them, and then to represent them on their behalf before God. So one of the challenges that I think in looking at the book of Hebrews is that for most of us, uh, we didn't come from a Jewish background. I think most of us in this room, if not all of us, came from Gentile backgrounds. So the particular context that we've been born into can make it kind of challenging to track with some of the arguments that are in the book of Hebrews. But again, this is written to first century Jews who have now entrusted themselves to Jesus as the Jewish Messiah that was proclaimed in the scriptures, which for them would have been the Old Testament. As a result of their faith, they're likely to face persecution, not just from civil authorities, but even those closest to home from their own families, from their communities, for their decision to follow after Jesus, which probably felt like the equivalent of following some weird heretical Jewish sect in the neighborhood. Right. So following Jesus has now become a costly decision for these followers of Christ. 
And you can imagine that many are wondering if that cost was actually worth it. And on that level, you and I might have some similar feelings. Is following Jesus really worth it? Um, I had a dear friend who followed Jesus who did actually come from a Jewish background. And he experienced his relatives uh, not speaking to him anymore. Complete isolation and shunning. Um, and eventually, like it took decades. But some of them finally reconnected with him. But not all of them did. I knew one person who trusted in Jesus. Who came from a household that had two parents who were atheists and believed that their child had now joined some anti-science cult. And we know that people's rejections of us often come from perceived misconceptions of what it means to follow Jesus, which sometimes could be the loud voices uh, that they see on television. Uh, And it's also true that our walk with Jesus, in our walk with Jesus, you and I might take positions that aren't popular with the world around us. It doesn't fit clearly or cleanly into either bipartisan political camp. And so when we feel the strain of relationships, when we feel the loss of income, or we feel the anxiety of the next conversation that's coming up, we might be tempted to wonder, you know, is is following Jesus really worth it? And the writer of this letter tells his readers, listen, you know, following Jesus isn't without sadness. It's not without difficulty or loss or pain, but it is the path to the glorious kingdom of God. And if you wonder if that's really true, give some more of your time and attention to Jesus and learn what it means to cling to him. It's the surest way, even if it's not the easiest way, it's the surest way to that heavenly country. And it's better to live with confidence of that hope than to reject Jesus for something that feels easier. Some of these Christians are going to have different reactions to Moses, which is their background, right? So we get to verses Two through six. And Moses was the most important figure in salvation history for the Jews. Um, You can read what's called um, the Apocrypha. And in the Apocrypha, which we read a few weeks ago, um, there is this reading in the book of Ecclesiasticus uh, or the Wisdom of Sirach, chapter 45. It's written about 200 years before Jesus. And in it, they talk about Moses. It says this. From his descendants, the Lord brought forth a godly man and found favor in the sight of all. And he was beloved by God and people. Moses, whose memory is blessed. He made him equal in glory to the holy ones and he made him great to the terror of his enemies. By his words, he performed swift miracles. The Lord glorified him in the presence of kings. He gave him commandments for his people and he revealed to him his glory. For his faithfulness and meekness, he consecrated him, choosing him out of all of humankind. He allowed him to hear his voice and he led him into the dark cloud and he gave him the commandments face to face. The law of life and knowledge so that he might teach Jacob the covenant and Israel his decrees. And if Moses was such a highly exalted person in the plan of God, the question is going to arise for some of the followers of Jesus. What is the relationship between Jesus and Moses then? In other words, maybe I can still trust in Jesus, but I can keep the rest of my life the same. Just as Moses isn't greater or on equal footing to Jesus, so also some, on the other hand, may have been tempted to completely jettison Moses. 
So they might have said, you know, let's get rid of everything that came through Moses and we can start fresh. And that would have become a later heresy in early Christianity. But the writer tells them, don't jettison Moses and don't think that you can just live the same. His argument is that Moses was faithful over God's chosen people, Israel. And that's actually a quote from the book of Numbers, chapter 12, verse 7. If you look at Numbers 12, God says that he may speak through prophets as through a dream or a vision, but that Moses is special and God speaks with him face to face. And if God speaks with Moses face to face, how could the people be so arrogant and bold as to complain against God's servant Moses? So notice that God's anger was kindled as a result of that against those who spoke against Moses, God's servant, the servant of God's house. But then in Hebrews 3, where we're at this morning, the author says, Jesus has been counted uh, worthy of more glory than Moses. And the reason why is that the builder of the house is worthy of more honor than the builder itself, than the house itself. Moses wasn't the builder of God's house. He was a servant in it. Jesus is compared to the builder of the house, and he's also compared to the son who's going to inherit the house. Jesus is personally involved in its building, and then he's interested in the upkeep of the house. And then he's also interested in the final result of the building of the house, because he's the one who's going to inherit it all. The things of God, the people, the covenants, etc., never belonged to Moses. He was just a steward of them. But Moses' ministry pointed the way to Jesus, to whom everything belonged. So you can think of it this way, that Moses was a shadow of the reality to come. He looked to Jesus. By way of example, when we look at the Gospel of John, chapter uh, 3, John reminds us of the event in the wilderness where people are attacked by serpents. And Moses is told to lift up a bronze serpent in the wilderness and all who look on it will be saved. And then St. John sees that as pointing to the one who would be lifted upon the cross for the salvation of the world. And it's that verse that a lot of us maybe memorized when we were a little child. And it's one of the options in the comfortable words after we pray the absolution. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So remember that that is showing the reality of the mystery of God in the snake in the wilderness, which is the shadow. These Christians are to look at Moses as the one who points to Jesus. So that when they ask, is it really worth it? The answer is that actually, yes. And Moses's hope was also in Jesus. And like the disciples, like when everyone turned away in John 6, these disciples could also say, You know, Jesus, where else are we going to go? You're the one who has the words of eternal life. So we're in a new season as a church plant. We've had a year of setting up, tearing down, setting up, tearing down, meeting in public parks. And it has been glorious to see the ways that God has been at work in that in that last year. And you have all been so faithful with what God has given this church. With, the, with all the different locations and just being really flexible. And being in this new and more permanent location is going to be an absolute blessing. And there's certain things that I'm going to miss about the infancy stage. 
of where we were at before. Um, you know, there was a cuteness to the infancy stage that I'll miss. And, and now we're leaving the infancy stage to maybe walk more like toddlers. Um, and, and there's going to be new joys and there's going to be new challenges in this new stage of growth and in this new season. But I want us to be reminded that Jesus is the beginning and the end of all that we are doing as a church. And, and I want to challenge us to press into knowing Jesus as the foundation of everything that we're doing and to let him inform how we're going to steward this next season together in this beautiful space. How do we cling to Jesus if we don't know who he is? And so I wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about some practical ways that we can help ourselves know Jesus and cling to Jesus in the coming months. First, pray the daily office. If you're not familiar with the daily office, we've been talking about that in our small group. Um, it's morning and evening prayer, midday prayer, um, and, and that daily prayer time. If you can't get to all the readings, I know it can be a lot. Make sure that you're prioritizing the gospel so that you're hearing from Jesus each day. Watch for the ways that Jesus is saving and building his people. And that also ensures that we are formed into the image of Christ uh, and that we are not creating Jesus into our image. And then second, read the catechism. Uh, it's called To Be a Christian, an Anglican catechism. We've talked about that in our small group as well. We spent a lot of time over the last several weeks talking about an intro to Anglicanism and the Book of Common Prayer, uh, covering what the sacraments are and other topics of discipleship in our small group and things that we will cover in the small group. But note that if we know a lot about the liturgy and, and if we have information on all those topics covered, but if we if we miss Jesus in that, then we haven't done discipleship well. Right. And so I've encouraged the group to read the catechism, which has four parts. It has beginning with Christ, believing in Christ, belonging to Christ, becoming like Christ. And those four pieces of the catechism, they inform what our life can look like as it's tied into the scriptures and as it's tied into the history of the church and the way the church is worshipped and as it's tied into the book of common prayer. Third, you can know Jesus more through what's called Lectio Divina or divine reading. So one of the disciplines that comes out of Christian monasticism is a type of communal reading of the scriptures. And rather than maybe digging into the grammar or the history of a text, which is a helpful discipline as well. What it does is it's a way of reading that lets the Holy Spirit read us through the text, through the words and the life of Jesus. So we've done that in a few ways. Uh, a few times in our formation group, we've done it, especially in, in our compline services online in the past. And the point is to soak, soak in the text through reading, through meditation, through contemplation and prayer. So that God reveals the movements of the Holy Spirit in us. And, and that's also a helpful discipline to know Jesus. And fourth and finally... We can get to know Jesus through relationships and through service. I preached several weeks ago about seeing the image of Jesus in other people. And that happens, again, in our formation groups. It happens on play dates. It happens when you're having coffee with another person. It happens when you go on walks together. It happens in our worship. It'll happen in our coffee hour. 
It happens when we serve others around us who are outside of where we feel comfortable. It happens in spaces that the world considers to be unimportant. And so we can take all those things and, and, and more than I've mentioned. This is not a comprehensive list. The daily office, catechism, prayer, Lectio Divina, relationships, service. And then we can take those and we can create rhythms out of them that help us to take consideration of Jesus and to teach how we're a part of that house that he's building. And doing that builds our confidence in the hope that is Jesus. So it's in knowing Jesus that we can step into what feels like complete upheaval and chaos one step at a time with our hands clinging so tightly to that rope, confident that we are on our way home. So let's cling to Jesus. Let's give our attention to who he is and to the hope that we find in him. Let me pray for us. Oh God of unchangeable power and eternal light, Look favorably upon your whole church, that wonderful and sacred mystery, by the effectual working of your providence. Carry out in tranquility the plan of salvation. Let the whole world see and know that things which are cast down are being raised up, and things which had grown old are being made new, and that all things are being brought to their perfection by him, through whom all things were made. Your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.